everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Fearcast. This is the podcast dedicated to OCD, anxiety, anxiety spectrum, and getting your life back. I'm your host, Kevin Foss. I am a licensed clinician specializing in the treatment of OCD and anxiety and anxiety spectrum disorders. And I'm delighted to have all of you join me here today. So for all of you who are new, this is a a question and answer based podcast. So if you have questions about OCD and how to treat it and what do you do and my spouse is dealing with this and is struggling with this other stuff and I just don't know what to do or gosh, I've all of a sudden noticed that I'm having these thoughts and I don't know what to do and they make me feel like I'm crazy, but I, I don't want to do them. But gosh, I have to do this other thing to make sure they don't happen. If you are experiencing those sort of thoughts and feelings, then this is the show for you. You can go over to fearcastpodcast.com and you can submit a question to me and I will read it, consider it, and I will likely put it up on a future episode just like this one. So today I have a bunch of questions that I'm going to be going over. And um, thank you all, everybody, for sending in questions. Um, I, I do have a ton of backlog, but again, if you have questions and you would like uh, you would like them to go up on uh, on a future episode, go over to fearcastpodcast.com. Also, if you um, if you would like to to fast track this, you can record yourself asking your question, and you can email it to me at questions at fearcastpodcast.com. So that's spelled the way you think. Questions at fearcastpodcast.com. Email that to me. You can use the uh, voice memo uh, uh, setting on your phone or voice memo app on your phone or any other thing that you record with and uh, just record yourself talking into it um, and uh, send it to me. I'll put it up in a future episode and it will cut the line. So, because again, I, I... it's not because I, I want to create some sort of weird hierarchy, fast pass system sort of thing, but um, that would ultimately be the way that I would love this show to go is that people, instead of texting me or writing them in, is that people ask it themselves because I think your voice is interesting. Your voice is compelling, knowing that there is is, is a real person behind that question can be um, life-changing for someone else experiencing the same fear or a similar fear. So I, I want to create that environment here. Uh, thank you all as well for uh, those who have started sending in their progress stories. I'm going to start putting those up. So for those of you who don't know what that is, um, I, I want to start putting up progress stories. So if you have saw uh, have seen some success in your treatment, or um, gosh, you know what, you, you had an exposure that you did not think that you were able to do, and then you did it. Or gosh, you didn't think that you were even going to be able to start treatment, and you did. Even if it's as small as just making the call to a therapist, not even setting it up, not even doing exposure, not even tackling your hierarchy, just that. I want to hear about it. Go over to fearcastpodcast.com and in the questions, the submit a question, go there. Um, There's a little pull down bar and it's going to say success stories. So click that. Tell me about your story and I will share it in a future episode. Again, if you want to record yourself talking about it, that would be even better. And you can send that to questions at fearcastpodcast.com. Check me out as well. I am over at uh, the Instagrams and uh, I am fearcastpodcast to no surprise over there. Um... So thank you all, everybody, for joining. For anybody, any of you out there who did, in fact, uh, hang out with and listen to and interact with the uh, uh, the talk that myself and Kelly Frankie and uh, uh, Lauren Rosen uh, had uh, had given at the IOCDF conference this past weekend, um, man, it, the conferences are always fantastic. 
I, I feel like I go away from the conference simultaneously fe feeling so full of knowledge and so um, so encouraged, and then simultaneously also feeling like I don't know anything about OCD and anxiety because there's just, there's so much to know and so many things to do a deep dive in. And I appreciate all the speakers who they've done the deep dive that thing that they are interested in talking about they've done the deepest dive into that and they're sharing it with you the listener so um if you have a chance if you have not been to an iocdf conference and you have the chance to do one next year i highly encourage you to do it because man there's no chance you're coming away from that not feeling encouraged and motivated and supported um uh, uh, and 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 confident, encouraged, I think I've already said that, to go and challenge your own fears. And and, and in light of someone else's talk I, spoke, I, I attended, um, I'm going to try to not use the phrase uh, uh, challenge your fears when really what I mean is face your fears. Because challenge your fears can, can, to a certain degree, sound like, and maybe perhaps mean, do compulsions or, you know, do that self-reassurance or that um, that, that research to try to get that certainty that you're okay. So we think that we're challenging it by telling ourselves that it's not real. When really what we're saying in an exposure is, is we're, we're trying to face our fears. So we're not trying to tell ourselves that it's not real or that it's never going to happen or that I'm okay, but we're accepting the uncertainty and, the, and in that process accepting the fear associated with it. So we're facing the fear of the uncertainty. I know this is splitting hairs and some of you out there are going to go who cares and some of you out there are going to go that's life-changing so it, it, it I, i'm saying it to those who it might be life-changing and it might be a, a different perspective on the process um than uh than you've heard before and that might be a game changer for you and it might not so Either way, I throw it out there. It's kind of like when we talk about acceptance and acceptance and commitment therapy. Some people get caught up in the term acceptance. They think that when if they, to accept a thought, they have to acknowledge that it's true, or to accept it means that they have to like it or or take it on as part of their own personality or character, wants, desires, etc. When really, what ACT is talking about when they say accept, we're talking about acknowledge. We're just stating a fact. I accept. And acknowledge that that I, I acknowledge that that thoughts in my head. I accept as a reality, as part of my experience, that it's there. It's like again, in the middle of summer in, in Southern California, I accept that it's a hundred billion degrees, give or take. I, I don't like it, but I accept it. My yelling at the sky ain't going to make it any better. It's not going to make it any colder, certainly. And I'm just going to get more frustrated. Why would I want to do that? But if I just go, yeah, it's really stinking hot. I'm going to acknowledge it. And then accept it without judgment. Anyways, I'm getting sidetracked, sidetracking myself. So thank you to all you speakers out there. I, I reached out to a couple people as well, and hopefully, hopefully they will be on a future episode uh, to talk about their specific thing. That I thought was very interesting. My fantasy uh, is um, in the future when you know the plague is not um, afoot and we can go actually do conferences is to take all this podcasting equipment there and just grab people and say, hey, you you gave this talk. It was great. Can you come and talk into this microphone for 10 minutes, give everybody the Cliff's Notes and just put together a bunch of Cliff's Notes and publish like three mini episodes every single day of the conference. That'd be my fantasy. But you know what? Alas, we are in the plague times. So I'm not able to do that. And I apologize, but that's just the reality that we are in and we are all just going to have to deal with it until we don't have to anymore. So hopefully that will be soon. 
maybe soon. I don't know when it's going to happen. Anyways, everybody, thank you all for joining me. This is the longest rambling intro that I'm probably just going to go ahead and leave in. So, um, so as I mentioned today, everybody, this is going to be a question and answer uh, episode. So we're going to jump into some questions here. I'm going to jump into some of my answers uh, uh, shortly after those. Um, but, uh, uh, but again, thank you all for joining me, and let's get to those questions. So this first question comes from Kevin. Kevin says, so I'm not sure what I have qualifies as OCD, but I am consistently and obsessively aware of symmetry and my physical sensations. Something as simple as picking up a pencil requires me to do it with the same amount of pressure and the same length of time touching with each finger. Brushing my hand on a wall while walking means I have to brush my opposite hand the same way on the same wall. I draw invisible squares in my mind when breathing and blinking and have to complete the square. But the thing is, I have no obsessive invasive thoughts beyond just ensuring this body symmetry. And like any sensory motor obsession, it literally, it's literally at least part of my thoughts all day every day. So I guess the questions are, is this OCD? Is this a common thing? And of course, how to make it stop? All right, uh, excuse me. All right, Kevin. Um, Great question and great name. It's a good name. So, um, so, so yeah, the, the, what, what you're talking about here, it, it can, it, it is a subtype of OCD. The, the prevalence of it, I actually don't have in front of me the percentages of, of, of who has OCD then has symmetry-related obsessions, but it is a thing, it is, it is a, it's a common enough thing that people talk about it. So, um, so symmetry OCD, as you talked about, it, it's ultimately for anybody out there, it's just going to be OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, but it, the theme is related to symmetry. So it's going to be balancing uh, some. Well, I'll go into some of the common obsessions here in just a moment. But it's it, it's going to be this obsessive cycle about whether or not something is even or balanced or organized or or, or organized in the sense that it is it, it is the same to a certain degree. Now, I'm also going to say this. Symmetry seems to also be related to just right OCD in the sense that there there sometimes doesn't need to be a perfect symmetry, like a there, there isn't this this magical measured amount of symmetry or perfection that there is. It's symmetry is done to the point where it feels just right. So, for, so it it uh, in that feeling of just right can often be what's the what's that driving force behind it. So, uh, so for example, if you scratched one leg um, for whatever reason, this bug bite, I don't know, whatever, you scratch that leg, but then your brain goes, yeah, but you got to do the other leg too, and just the same amount. I mean, I don't know. If you, there are probably some people out there who are scratching. You know, they in the initial scratch, they 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 count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and then they go to the other side and go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and do the right amount. But I would say probably most of the time, people are actually just scratching the other side to the point where it feels just right. But again, it's this it's this overlay between symmetry and just right that uh, that, that is uh, that is the problem. But as you can see, if they're not counting 
even if they are counting, I'll say, I was going to say, if they're not counting, they're just scratching that other leg just to the point where it, quote, feels symmetrical. Not that it is, but that it feels that way. It satisfies that emotional itch, right? Now, this can lead to the never-ending cycle, because once your brain sad is satisfied with the seven or whatever it was, it feels satisfied with whatever you scratched with, that secondary thought might come in and just go, yeah, but was it the same pressure on your leg? And you have to scratch both legs and then compare. And you go, okay, but you know, you scratched mainly with your middle finger and your index and a little bit with your ring finger and that, that, that pinky was kind of left out of it. But I noticed on the left hand, you kind of scratched with your pinky. So now you have to scratch it so that your hand feels right, not just your leg anymore. So as you can see that there is going to be, or this can be this constant cycle that's just never ending. Now, Let's go back to this, uh, the, the, or what the common obsessions are. And this is just, I'll, I'll make a short list here. Um, so some common obsessions can be just needing things to be balanced. It can be visually, it can be, it can be uh, sensory-wise. Um, so it can be applying pressure evenly, so kind of as I was talking about. Um, needing items on the desk or a room to be balanced or even. So it can be colors, it can be items. So if there's like, you know, a couch over here, there needs to be a couch over there. It can be so on someone's desk, there needs to be a perfect kind of feng shui balance or feeling of symmetry or feeling of just rightness on both sides or front and back or, or something to that effect. Um, for some, there can even be an, a, an appearance of words. So if, if like as it can go as far as, you know, as you're writing, if the bottom of your D is heavier than the top part of the D as you're writing it, or, you know, pick a letter and it doesn't look quite right, um, that can be uncomfortable and it's just not feeling right. So <clears throat> to that point, um, some common compulsions then for the person, the last person I just mentioned, there's going to be rewriting, scratching it out, rewriting it to make it perfect, or just writing over it to darken the lines on the top and the bottom to make them look symmetrical. Um, there can be organizing or moving items. That can be one thing that somebody does. Um, touching or balancing bodily sensations. So, you know, if one person scratches your arm or happens to brush against one arm, they need to brush against the other side. Or if, um, you know, if the if the one sock is not as high as the other, they pull that one up to match the other one, or they lower the other one to match. So there, there's there's a lot of movement and a lot of activity just to make sure that things, quote, feel right. Now, in terms of the common fears with this, it, it can be, it, it can vary. So sometimes it's just as simple as just that feeling. So it doesn't feel right Right. So for some people, then the struggle in treatment is then going to be how do we tolerate and make space for that feeling and, and trust that that feeling is ultimately going to go away when we shift our attention away from it. But we're ultimately not doing that compulsion. So it can be a matter of trying to deal with that feeling for some as well. And, and, and I think, Kevin, for you, I, I, that you've alluded to that kind of being it, just the feeling component of it, since you say you don't have some fears for some people out there who have symmetry fears, there can be a lot of magical thinking associated with with this. So kind of this idea of like, if I if I don't make it symmetrical, something bad will happen. So almost like a superstitious component to it. Like if I, you know, what is if I step on a crack, I break my mom's back or something to that effect. Um, FYI, that's not how that works. Unless the the crack is in fact your mom's back. There's like a crack in her skin and you step on it, shatter her spine. Don't do that. First off, it's, it's very bad. 
but um, but that's not how that works. So so for some it can be that that uh, that sense of something bad will happen. For some it's for some it can just be as simple as like if I if I don't balance this out, I'm going to be focused on that sensation or that imbalance uh, forever, and I'm not going to be able to be present with people. I'm not going to be able to do my work right. Um, I'm never going to have a full and happy life. It can kind of expand out from there, and there's a myriad of other fears that can be related to it. But there's that that's the stuff that we use to justify that urge for symmetry. So if I do this, then I will finally make it okay, and then I can move on with my life. So this latter piece that that's that's where a lot of that overlap between sensory motor obsessions can come into play. But um, but Kevin, one thing that you can do about this, you said, of course, how do you make it stop? So number one, it's that it may not stop. How do you then, my question to you is, how do you learn to incorporate it into your life? Incorporate the awareness of symmetry into your life, but not letting it rule you, not letting it dictate to you what it is that you do about it. So that is probably going to be the name of the game for you, but there's going to be a couple of components, the acceptance piece. How do you accept this as just one of the facets of your brain and your awareness? Again, without letting it take over. To acknowledge that, yeah, your brain says you've got to scratch or re-rub or you've got to tap or touch or whatever it is that it might be in that moment. But say, use that rational mind of yours and say, gosh, I don't need to do this though because nobody else is doing this. There's no rule that says I have to do it and I, I don't need to do it. And accepting the uncertainty about whether or not that feeling is ever going to go away. And if there's that magical thinking component, whether or not uh, that, that, that outcome is ever going to happen happen. A couple things you can do about this, by the way, is that you, for, uh, for Kevin, you can try these out or somebody else can try these. Uh, and of course, if you, uh, I would recommend doing these with a therapist, um, I, I, it, it, it will help. I just, I'm just going to assure you on that. So for some exposures you can do, um, the, the name of the game with this is needing, allowing yourself to let that feeling be incomplete and unbalanced or asymmetrical. So learning that that feeling is okay. Now you're learning that that's okay by putting yourself into the position of feeling not okay, but treating it as if it is okay. And by, do, by saying that, you're not doing compulsive behaviors. So you're feeling asymmetrical. So it might be drawing half of a box and letting that box be incomplete and tolerating and making space for that feeling. It can be, again, thinking about that box, it can be literally scratching one arm and then not scratching the other and sitting there with that feeling. Now, Kevin, if you're listening to this, I want you to try that. I want you to scratch one arm and I don't want you to scratch the other. I just want you to make space for that feeling. I want you to notice what that feels like. I want you to notice the urge in your body. I want you to notice where your attention goes. I want you to notice what thoughts go through your mind. But I want you to observe them and just notice that they're all there. And just say, yes, that, that feeling and that sensation is all right. I'm all right in the midst of all this. And in the middle of all that, by the way, you can also practice doing something else. You can incorporate this into other things that you're doing, right? You could be driving to work, scratch one arm and just keep driving. Don't scratch the other arm and just let that feeling be there. Yes, of course, in the, in the, in the um, active treatment, you can take all of the distractions away, sit there, scratch one arm, and let it be and focus on that feeling feel the crap out of it feel how painful it is how obnoxious it is how painful and i've said that already you get the idea 
and and notice the rise of it, how, how, how much you want to balance it out and the thoughts and the feelings. And then as you continue to stay there, how it gets to its peak and then how slowly over time it starts to come down to the point that it doesn't become as painful. That is also an acceptable approach to do. But and you can also incorporate this into your day-to-day. You can also expose yourself to situations where it feels like that cycle does need to be completed, but not allow for it. So if you're if you're cleaning or organizing, intentionally letting things be imbalanced. Um, if you're walking, you can intentionally rub yourself against a wall and not complete the other side, etc. So also think about this, is that if this can't also be done in one exposure, you can do this slowly. You can kind of turn that dial down. So if it's like, you know, if, if you need to, for example, if it if you feel that you have to do three or four scratches on one side, only do three. Or, you know, if you need to rub the other side um, or pick up a pencil with one with one hand and you can pick up the other pe- the pencil with the other hand, but hold it less or leave one finger out or, you know, only use one, you know, one finger finger and your thumb or pick it up with your finger your your pointer and your middle finger you get the idea it's breaking that cycle but it's going to feel imperfect the other thing lastly i'll say is you can do some scripting to this and scripting about um stories that of what would happen if you left something be imperfect and maybe this is um uh, maybe this is uh, uh, the, the context in which you know you were against the wall, but you you told yourself in the story, "I don't need to do this. This is ridiculous. I'm not going to do it." And then you felt that feeling forever, and terribleness ensued, or that you didn't balance it out, and you suffered a feared consequence. Right? You your mom's back broke because of this, or something to that effect. Write that story out, and it's going to be uncomfortable. But it is letting that thought be there without doing that compulsion. So your job, Kevin, is just to progressively pull back on the balancing and letting that awareness and that urge be present. So, Kevin, I hope this answers your question. And uh, thanks so much for it. So this next question, I suppose that's more of a comment, comes from Arslan. Uh, he says, uh, hi, Mr. Foss, I just came across your article on psychology today, which eventually led me to your podcast. I first must thank you for doing the podcast and gives people uh, comfort and all this other stuff, blah, 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 moving on to the question. I don't have a sp- specific question at the moment. However, I would love if you could do more and more episodes about scrupulos- scrupulosity or religious OCD. Arslan, I'm working on it. We're getting there. Okay. So he then says... I really felt amazed when I heard you say that OCD is not a thought problem. It's a feeling problem. That was the moment when I really became interested in your content. Anyways, I hope you're continuing to do the podcast. I am. Anyways, so I just wanted to talk about this, everybody, because it, it, it's it's a, it's an article that you guys can read. This is not a plug for the article. Plenty of people have read it already to satisfy my ego. But my maintenance, and I'm going to probably hit this point a lot today, is OCD is a thought problem, really. It's a feeling problem. It's again, as as I make this point, is that you and I have have tried to rationalize our quote crazy man thoughts a bajillion times. I call them my crazy man thoughts when I have them. You don't have to call them that. That's totally fine. It's that in the moment that I have my irrational thoughts, I say I'm thinking like a crazy man. Why am I doing this to myself? So, we've talked ourselves off the ledge a thousand times, but there's no talking ourselves out of that feeling. It feels uncomfortable. feels wrong. So, our job 
is not to try to talk ourselves out of the feeling. As much as I know that I have talked about um, cognitive restructuring, which I still think is valuable, it's the point is to say, how do I get used to and allow for this feeling? That's my target, is to let this feeling be present. Now, yes, there are some folks out there who are going to have actively distorted thoughts or going to have um, uh, either delusions delusional type of thinking which is believing something that's just simply not true and that's if that's they firmly believe that so there is going to be a thinking problem for some folks that's why i say it's for the most part a not a thought problem but a feeling problem so um if you have more questions about this or you'd like to read more about it go over to um you can go to psych today i think my silly blog is called stronger than fear um i think it's a stupid name i'm going to be honest um but it's the name that was the most appropriate of the ones that i suggested um i really wanted it to be called feelings are stupid but they thought that was insensitive um, or something like that. But I thought feelings are stupid would be better and be more on brand. But stronger than fear sounds really encouraging. So go check that out if you want to read more about it. But yes, everybody, I want you to think about this today for your own anxieties is that your anxiety isn't a thought problem. It's a feeling problem. Your thought is there. It's your brain is doing brain stuff. It's trying to protect you and look out for you. But it's that feeling. The feeling is haywire. It's the alarm system. It's the alarm itself and the anxiety that you get. Both of those things are very natural things that you and I want as part of our fight or flight system, but it is overactive and is sending out these false messages to you. So you're, you are now feeling something you ought not to, right? The fire alarm is going off when there is no fire, but it feels scary. So you need to be able to tolerate that feeling as the feeling. You've told yourself the alarm is broken, it doesn't matter. The feeling is there, and that feeling is a tremendous motivator. So, it's a feeling problem. All right. Uh, that is I will say about, uh, say about that. Arslan, I know you asked another question, and I'm going to get to it. Uh, I'm going to try to bundle it with some other uh, questions that are similar to it. Um, uh, uh, to tantalize everybody, it's a bit of a not-safe-for-work NSFW adult type of question. So, I'm going to incorporate that into a uh, Fearcast After Dark episode. So, I'm getting to you, Arslan. I see you. I see you. All right, next question. Next question comes from Sam. Sam says, many sources for OCD often say the, quote, run for the hills, end quote. If your therapist talks about your past or trauma or childhood when dealing with your OCD. But if OCD can be brought up from traumatic events, why should we avoid talking about this? Thanks. So, Sam, that's a very valid point. And you know what? I'm going to be honest. I have been one of those people who have said run for the hills. And I'm going to backpedal on myself. Um, and for, for anybody else who is of the belief that you truly, truly need to backpedal, or not backpedal, run for the hills when it comes to this, it's not, as, as always, it's not always true. So, it was sometimes. Now, I'll say this. So, uh, Sam, you are right. If your OCD is brought up, in fact, by past traumatic events, then it would be reasonable to be talking about these things, or at the very least, processing them a little bit, a little bit, bringing them up, trying to see how they relate. You get the idea. So there is going to be some discussion about it. Um, there, there certainly is a, a movement and a, a, a group of people who do more, um, more depth work, more psychodynamic related work, where they're going to be talking more about 
um, trauma from your past and relationship dynamics and uh, issues with childhood and things of that nature um, as as it relates to and as it influences obsessions there there are those people out there and I'm going to try to get one of those folks on to talk about uh, their experience with this uh, in due time but um, that's one of the people I reached out to but I'll say this so the run for the hills mindset is going to be if you have someone who is only wanting to talk about past stuff and not talk about current functioning, current relationships, current thinking patterns, then it's a problem. And I'll add behavioral patterns into that as well. So if they are of the belief that if you resolve some of your past relationship traumas or some of your issues from your childhood, uh, etc., uh, if you resolve all of that, then all of the obsessions will go away. I will say run for the hills because it is it isn't it, it that's not how that works I hate to tell you it, but there can be room for both of these things now I'm of I'm of the school of thought and I just feel more comfortable talking more about the present based stuff because I mean you and I can only control this moment I can't fix and change and square some of the stuff from my past. I say that, and I'm sure there's some psychodynamic person out there is going, you can, that's fine. If you want to fix me, give me a call. But um, we, I can't change the past. I have to make room for it as part of who, who I am, what has created me, for better or for worse. But my anxieties often exist right now, or my experience of anxiety is right now. My ruminating is right now. My compulsive behavior is right now. My avoidance is right now. How do I then face those and adjust those in this moment, not five minutes ago, five years from now, or five decades ago? Five decades ago, I was not in existence. But you get the idea. So, so Sam, there, it isn't just a run for the hills solely if they want to talk about your past trauma or childhood. If there's past trauma in your childhood, they ought to talk about it. If they also, similarly, if, if you say, gosh, you know what, therapist, I, you know, I had X, Y, and Z traumas in the past and X, Y, or Z was abusive and I experienced these um, horrendous things. And they just go, uh-huh, and they move on from it. Run for the hills. In other words, that, that that might not be a therapist who's going to take you into full context. So, um, I guess what I'm trying to say is, uh, just like the SATs, um, if, if there's an all or none statement, that one's wrong. So, this isn't an all or none as usual, but it's going to be taking this into account. But, um, but I hope this answers your, answers your question. So, don't avoid it, but don't not avoid it meaning don't only do it. So more convoluted answers for you, Sam. So uh, thank you again for your question and uh, best of luck with your treatment. This last question comes from Rose. Rose says, Hi, Kevin, you previously answered my question on one podcast about POCD, and I'm so grateful for that. This time, I have a question about related compulsions. She goes on to say, I was hoping you'd be able to discuss compulsive flooding and emotional checking. For example, internally thinking of an image or thought and checking if you feel enough anxiety, distress, empathy, and so on. Paired with a huge dose of doubt from OCD, it makes these thoughts feel so real and makes me question if they really are egotistonic or OCD at all. Let me know if you have any ideas on tackling this. Love your podcast and all you do. 
Rose. So, um, so everybody, if you want to listen to Rose's previous question or hear me yammer on about Rose's previous question, she's on episode uh, 46. So check that out, which gosh, one, I'm really behind in my answering questions. So two, this is episode 77. And I, that was a question from episode 46. It, it blows my mind, everybody, that this has gone on this long. And I appreciate everybody who has been a listener or who is currently listening. Um, uh, this is this uh, podcast is such a blessing to me. Anyways, I don't want to talk about this anymore. All right. All right. So, um, so Rose, you said the magic word, compulsive flooding. It's a compulsion masquerading as a helpful technique. So for everybody who isn't aware of what this is, so com- the, the compulsive flooding um, and emotional checking, I'll, uh, I'll kind of roll those all into one because that's kind of what you're doing during compulsive flooding. So compulsive flooding is what when somebody, uh, actually I'd, I'd, I'd one client call these composures, compulsion exposures. So it, to tackle one obsession or one anxiety, they would do a, an exposure of higher value to eradicate the anxiety of the lower one, thinking that though they're doing the higher one and the lower one at the same time so isn't that better the answer to that is no because they're still avoiding the anxiety of the lower one so they're still avoiding but anyways so compulsive flooding it's doing an exposure intentionally um as but they're they're doing a false exposure they're trying to flooding is also an old term um used for exposure it's kind of flooding is generally the term generally it's commonly used as do just doing the worst possible exposure all at once so if it's like you're afraid of snakes it's not like we're going to look at a picture of a snake and then draw a snake and then watch a video of a snake like progressive exposure it's it is on day one i'm going to cover you in snakes and you're going to sit there and deal with it like that sounds awful to me so compulsive flooding it's also just the term that's being used by a lot of folks anyways it doesn't matter compulsive flooding um so so rose you're, you're doing this inappropriately if, if you are trying to do an exposure and just analyzing and checking, you're doing it wrong. I'll give you an idea. So an appropriate exposure would be intentionally thinking of a distressing thought, then leaving it alone uh, and observing your response without judgment. So intentionally thinking of, uh, so it's POCD, intentionally thinking about a child and just holding that image and tolerating the feelings that come up with that. It is kind of torturous. It can be, but it's to just feel that there is that feeling and that discomfort and that's okay. Then moving on and without then drawing conclusions about yourself, an inappropriate exposure then, and this is the compulsive flooding is intentionally thinking of a thought and evaluating then how you feel and whether it's too much or too little or not right or bad or implying something. So in part, what's happening is that um, that that anxiety then feels super real for a couple of reasons. One, you're, you're reinforcing that that thought means something. If you're then sitting there and analyzing it and then doing something about it and kind of going into that rumination question, you're you're making a mountain out of a molehill. Your brain's learning that it just goes, oh, Rose thinks this is super important. Well, let's pay more attention to this. Let's amp this up. She likes these feelings. She keeps dwelling in them. So let's just amp it up. So it's it, it is that that it, again it's that element that that you, that you are over analyzing your brain thinks it's worth analyzing and and then especially also if you're taking this into account for future decisions. So lastly is that also remember that it feeling real is the nature of OCD. That's its biggest weapon against you is that it makes it feel awful, right? 
But it feels bad, as I previously mentioned to another caller, another caller, another writer, is that it's, it's, it's the brain's alarm system and fear gauges are broken. So the alarm is going off way too much, and that feeling, that fight or flight feeling that you get, that bad feeling, is happening way too much. It's happening when it ought not to. So your job, Rose, is then to not listen to it or analyze it anymore. And especially, don't get, don't get into that discussion about whether or not it's egodystonic or, or is syntonic or dystonic. That, that's 100% an OCD question. And, and I know that you have done this a thousand times. You've analyzed it. Gosh, is this OCD? Is this not OCD? Could it, might, maybe kind of be? All of that is very, very compulsive. And if it, it, the rule of thumb, I'll say this, is if it feels like it's OCD, let's, let's treat it like it's OCD, right? Rationally speaking, Rose, I think you, you know what it is, but we need to treat it like it is, which means that we pay very little, if any, any attention to it. So, um, uh, so a couple of things uh, about a solution for this, or what you can kind of do about this. So I'll, I'll, I'll mention two main things: is that one is building awareness of the analytical mind versus the observational mind, and kind of building that 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 um, that muscle. Um, and what that is is the so the analytical mind is that part of your brain that judges and questions and predicts, etc. The observational mind is the one that just simply describes and notices. When you're getting into compulsive, um, uh, uh, compulsive flooding, as you called it, um, you're using your analytical brain a lot. You're doing a, you're doing an exposure, but you're doing a lot of response. We're trying to do response prevention. That's why it's in the name. You do the exposure, and then you're analyzing the heck out of it. And what does it mean? Is it right? Is it enough? Is it too much? Is it not right? Etc. I want you to practice your observational mindset, which is do the exposure, and then just observe. Notice what it is. Describe it in objective terms. Describe it like you're trying to then later describe it to me. And don't use subjective terms. Use objective terms. So instead of, oh my gosh, it feels terrible and awful and I'm such a bad person, right? Those are all subjective criticisms and judgments. But instead, I feel tightness in my chest. I feel hot. My heart is racing. Um, my body feels heavy. All these are observations as to what that experience is. And included in that can also be, I'm having these thoughts. I'm having these feelings. I'm having this urge. All of that is true, but all of that you can tolerate and make space for. So that's one thing. The other thing I want you to start to practice is something called attention shifting. So this is there. If you if you um, if you Google this, there's going to be a lot of episodes on, or a lot of uh, like YouTube things on this, and a lot of guidance on how to do this. And it's basically shifting your attention from one thing to another. And I've described this in the past, and and, and very briefly, you can think about this as um, like Rose. I want you to think about your left foot, and now I want you to think about your right hand. And now I want you to just turn your attention to what you hear. Okay. Now, as you turned your attention towards your hearing, were you thinking about your left foot? And I'll say probably not. It's because you shifted your focus. Now, this is, a, this is a whole other skill to practice and really work on, and guided meditation can help with this a lot. But 
why I bring up both of these things is that we're not trying to do one or the other, but it's but it's both. Not necessarily at the same time, but these are just all, more skills to practice for your toolbox. Think about this: like uh, ERP is going to help you to build the tolerance for tolerance of that feeling and that worry when the thought arises. And attention training is going to help you to build the ability to shift your attention when that thought is there. So it's like if you're doing ERP, that hopefully the, the, the distress and the urgency to do your compulsions will progressively start to reduce. But then when that thought naturally arises, one, your feeling is going to be less. Your anxiety is going to be less because you've done these exposures. But then secondly, is that you're going to be better able to shift your focus back to whatever it is that you want it to be focusing on in the first place. You're, you're going to be shifting your focus away from the fear and on towards your life, which is kind of the point, right? It's kind of the point of all of this. And it's the thing that someone without OCD can do a little easier than perhaps you can, but you're just having to train yourself to do it and you can learn how to do it. It doesn't mean that you do it perfectly, but it means that you will be able to do it eventually. Now, sometimes I have these thoughts. Sometimes I will get you know, a, 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 a sad or depressing or anxiety provoking thought. And there's almost this element in my shifting that it's that's like I get I almost get a sense that like I feel dizzy in, in the shifting process and then I get on to that next thing. It's almost like think about it like your whole head is like shaking like don't think about that. It's like I do that emotionally, but that's part of the process for me. And I've just observed that as I feel that thought, I go Whoa. in my letting it go. There's this whoosh sort of dizziness feeling as I shift over, but it's it takes a little bit of work and it's almost emotionally and cognitively jarring for me to be pulling my attention away from that thought process. Now, I'm not trying to suppress the thought. I'm just trying to redirect my attention. And everyone's experience is going to be a little bit different, but um, I just wanted to give you those couple of things to think about. So, so Rose, I hope any of that was helpful. And again, thank you for sending in a second question. And for anybody out there who has previously asked a question, if you have a follow-up question, let me know. As Rose can attest, I do answer more than one question. So thank you again, Rose, and best of luck. All right, everybody. Thank you all so much for joining me for this, the 77th episode. This is a good number. This is a good one. So we made it, everybody, or we're making it, I suppose. So um, uh, I don't have a whole lot to add to this. I unfortunately have to get off to my next session, so I'm going to keep this relatively short. Um, everybody, if you have uh, follow-ups to this, if you would like to add any elements to this, um, go to fearcastpodcast.com and you can send me a message through the website and uh, add your um, criticisms or comments or additions and I'll add those on a future episode. Um, additionally, if you have a question that you would like me to go over, fill it uh, go over to fearcast podcast if there's a other if there's another therapist or professional or expert that you would like me to have on the show to discuss a particular topic let me know i'm always on the lookout for anybody who wants to join the show and talk about what they are experienced and what what their expertise is um, as is what I, is what i'm trying to do um in the next couple of weeks so all right everybody please remember that the fearcast is for educational purposes only and is not meant as a substitute for psychotherapy so if you uh, would like a little bit of help in your own treatment, you, you can go over to fearcastpodcast.com and you can uh, go, go over to the find help link and there's going to be some stuff there that may be helpful for you in getting a little bit of more assistance in your treatment. All right, um, everybody, until next time, please remember to take a risk to challenge yourself and don't take your brain too seriously. Bye.